The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times, or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at www.thetabchurch.com. Welcome everyone to the Tabernacle. Thanks for being with us uh, for this worship service. My name is John. I'm one of uh, the pastors here and uh, we're glad uh, that you chose this weekend to be with us. We're starting a new series. Uh, It's just a short one, a three-weeker, but it's an important one. And as you've seen by the little intro uh, there that it's called Tab DNA. Tab stands for Tabernacle. (laughs) Public service announcement, just so you know. It's a long word. It's an old word for church. And some of you might be saying, DNA, I know what that is. Didn't we do a series before called Tab DNA? Probably yes, and probably more than once. And I want to tell you why, just as we set it up. It seemed good to us, uh, and I would say to the Spirit, that it's a good thing to re- or be reminded again of what we're all about. What, not just what the church is all about, but what the faith is all about. And if you're a Christian, what a Christian should be all about. So that's why I said you picked a good day. Now, if you've already been through Merge or if you've been here a while, please don't check out because it's biblical to remember and it's biblical to go back to the basics. In fact, in a few moments, we're going to look at a scripture that does exactly that. It takes us back to the basics. But just a word about DNA. The the DNA strand, you know, that you see on the screen right there, the DNA chromosomes that make up who we are, they have these little building blocks, And these building blocks determine so much, some would say almost everything about you physically. The color of your skin, the color of your eyes, the kind of hair that you're going to have, how tall you're going to be. We know this from science, and I'm no scientist, don't get me wrong here. But it's important to get the DNA right. And if the DNA, the little chromosomes that make up that strand, if they're not right, it can have devastating effects on us physically. You know, a child that's born with the chromosomes in a, you know, the wrong setup or, or, or if it doesn't match exactly right, there can be deformities, there can be problems. In the womb, it can involve a miscarriage. And so for us, it's important to know what the DNA is, to be familiar with it, and sometimes just to get back to those basics and fundamentals. For my family, we're coming off the summer season for for our routine is just all whacked out from the summer. Are you that way? Okay, so here's another. I mean, if you're a perfect parent that nothing ever changes, that's not so at the Vermilion household, right? Mountain Dew, any time of day or night during summer, we're staying up late, right? We're eating on a totally different schedule. You guys are looking at me like I'm a terrible parent. (laughs) School is lockstep. In summertime, it's just a free-for-all, right? 
Ah, the kids are still awake. I'm tired. Let them stay up. You know, I'm going to bed. Type. But now that it, you know, we're in September, we've had our first week of school and we're getting back into the routine. It's a school night, you know, go to bed, nine o'clock. Did you take your melatonin? Yes, we give our kids melatonin. <laughs> All that kind of stuff. You know, the routine is settled back in and we're getting back to the basics. That's a good thing. We're getting back to the fundamentals. You know, I coach a soccer team. And uh, our soccer team, our 6-0, used to be 6-0 soccer team, was devastated on Friday night. Destroyed. Humiliated, right? What was the post-game speech? Guys, we got to get back to the basics. Offense sells tickets. Defense wins game. Oh, there's exactly three athletes here. Okay, very good. Okay, note to self, never do that again. All right. How much more important as a church and as a Christian is it to get back to the basics? Well, one thing that makes our church unique, and not that we're the only church and it's not the best thing, but it's worked for us, is we've chosen to be a church that we say we focus on the big rocks of the faith. The big rocks of the faith, theologically speaking. So if you're new to our church and you want to know, hey, what, what uh, uh, acts are we grinding here, we try to Focus on the fundamentals as much as we can. And I think that's important for a church, but I also think that's important for us as individuals. What do I mean by the big rocks? Well, there's big theological rocks that are most important to Christians. One, that we don't believe in 15 gods like a Hindu or a pantheist. We don't believe that you can have that God or this God. We believe in one God who eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Not three gods, but three persons in one essence. That's a pretty big rock, right? We believe in God's Word, the Bible. Infallible, inerrant. All of it's true from beginning to end. We just don't take the parts that we like and leave out the parts that are uncomfortable. And there's a lot of uncomfortable parts. But it's His Word, He's God, I'm not. That's a big rock for us. That's important. We believe that salvation or eternal life is possible, and it's only possible through a relationship with God because He's holy and I'm not. We believe in man's sin. That's a pretty big rock. I like to throw some sometimes. We believe that salvation is possible by God's grace through faith. That it's not what I do, it's not how I earn, it's not, you know, does my good works outweigh my bad works? That's humanism. That's something else. That's every other world religion. Only Christianity says there's nothing that you can do to earn salvation. That you can only receive grace by faith and believing, right? That's a pretty big rock. And so by focusing on the big rocks, that's what differentiates us from other churches, but that's also what unites us as a church because there's a lot of different beliefs in here. Now, small rocks are fun and small rocks can be helpful. And I'm not saying small rocks aren't important, but they're less important. Right? I've told you before that I didn't know that there was a difference between denominations. And that, that means like confederations of churches. You know, there's Baptists or there's Wesleyan or there's Nazarene or there's Methodists. And as I said before, Quakers and Bakers and candlestick makers, Right? Mennonites live in there someplace. The free will Baptists are in there someplace. The locked up Baptists are in there too. The united and the divided Methodist. You know what I'm saying? They're all in there. Catholic, Lutheran, you name it, right? 
When I grew up in Haiti on the mission field, all of us just kind of worked together. I mean, not necessarily, I mean, we all helped each other out because it was us all overseas, I mean, me with my parents, you know, all for the same cause. It wasn't until I moved back to the United States that I realized we were divided over here. A lot of churches don't work together. Oh, you do your thing. We're going to do our thing, right? It wasn't until I moved south that I knew the difference between a Calvinist and an Arminian. Sorry, I'm geeking out on you theologically. You know, there's some people that God decides who he's going to save and man has no say in it whatsoever and that's, no, I have a free will. Well, are we determined or free will, right? And we're going to argue for generations. This is small rocks. And we just came off a season where we baptize people. Now, I would say that baptism is a, it's a pretty big rock. Would you agree? I mean, Jesus was baptized and he never sinned. Uh, Jesus also told us to go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Peter said in Acts chapter 2, after he gave his first sermon, the people said, what must we do to be saved? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized into the name of Jesus. So baptism is a pretty big rock. But you know what? It never says in the Bible is how to do it. Do you go under the water straight down? Do you do the backflip like we do and get you itchy? Do you get sprinkled? Does that count? Was he all the way under? Friends, these are the stupid things Christians argue about. How about this? How about baptism and water? Figure the rest out, right? You guys are looking at me like I'm strange. You know, quite frequently we come up to baptism season, we start getting emails. There's always one guy who's reading out of a King James. No offense to King James, that's a good Bible. And he starts asking us, do you baptize in the name of the Lord Jesus? Yeah. No, you don't. That's the follow-up email. I heard you. You said, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Did you hear me say the Son? Do you know who the Son is? It's the Lord Jesus. You guys think I'm making this stuff up. I'm not making it up. Because I didn't know there's a camp that says, we're going to follow what Peter said, that you need to repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then I go, well, what about Matthew 28 when Jesus said, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? We're missing the point. The point is, is when you baptize, you don't baptize with faith in Buddha. You don't baptize with faith in Dr. Martin Luther King. You don't baptize in faith in your political party. You don't get baptized in, in the name of Muhammad. You get baptized under the grace and by the blood and the power of Jesus. So that's the difference between small rocks and big rocks. And we could go on and on with these examples. Now as a church, when a church gets off track and starts worrying about the smaller rocks, worship styles, the temperature in the worship space, dress codes, you know, are we going to play euchre or not? Face cards, there's a joker, what's that mean? You know what I mean? Going to read fortune telling next, is that what's happening? You know, I better stop ranting. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because it's not just for churches. Friends, it's for you and it's for me. I can get off track. I have gotten off track. 
I don't know what brought you here today. I don't know if you're happy. I don't know if you're sad. I don't know if you're somewhere in the middle, if you're ambivalent, if you're depressed, if you need encouragement, if you need a kick in the pants. I don't know. But I know that when we return to what's most important, when we get back to the fundamentals, whether you've just faced a big loss or if you're trying to stay on the straight and narrow, the fundamentals, the basics, the DNA of all of this is very important. Church-wide and especially individually. Paul reminds us of what's most important. Chapter 15, I'm going to read from the ESV. If you don't have a Bible or a device, we'll put it on the screen. He said, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Words matter, friends. That Christ, that Christ what? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Now if words matter, and if there's no wasted words in scripture, which by the way, scripture is another big rock. I don't take some of it and not all of it, it's all of it. And if words matter, and and Paul's writing to this church, and the Holy Spirit has preserved the scriptures for this church, God is telling us what's most important. I delivered to you what was most important, of first importance. Here it is, Christ. We're going to get old-timey revival up in here just a little bit today. I might scare you just a little bit because I'm passionate about this. What's most important? Christ. Christ who? Jesus Christ. Are you up today? What's most important is Christ. Are you losing today? Are you hanging on by a thread? What's most important? Jesus Christ. Are you feeling down? It's about Jesus Christ. Are you, are you against the ropes? It's Jesus Christ. What's the, what's the rock that matters? He's telling us right here. First important. And he reminds us of the gospel. When churches let you down, when preachers let you down, when the staff lets you down, when your husband or wife lets you down, when your kids let you down, when your friends let you down, you know what's of first importance? That Christ died. And not only that he died, that he was buried. He was for real dead. And not only that he was for real dead, that he resurrected. He came back to life. And if he did that, and the proof is he appeared First to this guy, then to that guy, then 500. You can stake your life on that. I don't know about the music in this church. Jesus. I don't know about the paint job in this church. Jesus. I don't know about the ministry plan of this church. Jesus. You know what? People aren't very nice to me here. Jesus. You know what? I'm not very nice to people here. Jesus. It's first importance. It's a fundamental. It's DNA. 
It's DNA for a church and it's DNA for a Christian. Some of us, we like to talk about God in a distant manner. We say, well, you know, you know, I've got God in my life. How about having Jesus in your life? Ooh, that's a whole nother level of embarrassment, isn't it? To talk about someone that's supposed to be dead for 2,000 years like he's alive and well and lives in us, that's Christian. You see, Jesus is the biggest rock. Jesus is the biggest rock. If you serve, that's great, but only if it's because of Jesus being the biggest rock. You love an author who's talked to you a lot about God, but if he or she doesn't proclaim Jesus is the biggest rock, if it's about them or their, big, or their, their, their book tour, their leadership conference or whatever, then they're missing the point because Jesus is the biggest rock. If you hear a sermon and it tells you, here's all these life helps, here's all these self helps, you can get that from Dr. Phil. If it doesn't point to Jesus as the biggest rock, it's not gospel truth. And you're gonna be let down. It says in Psalm 118, it also says in 1 Peter, I believe it's chapter 3, and multiple other places, it says that Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the cornerstone of our faith. He's the cornerstone of the church. He's the cornerstone that some people get this stumble over and trip over because they start attending church, it's just a part of it, but they never really acknowledge Jesus is the biggest rock. And so they stumble and fall because they are missing that important part. What is a cornerstone? I'm not a builder. I get it. I'll probably mess this up, but I do have Google. And according to Google, the cornerstone in the foundation, it's the first stone that's laid. And it's by which we measure all the other stones that are laid in the foundation. That's not right. The building's not right. It's going to fall. That's not right. Everything else is crooked, just like the DNA. The cornerstone. You want to know what the biggest rock is of all the big rocks? It's Jesus. Love him, serve him, worship him, die for him, give to him. That's what it's about. That's what Paul's saying. Everything else is measured by the cornerstone. Because Jesus is the biggest rock. We like to get sideways. And that's why we get let down. And that's why people leave the church. That's why people leave the faith. Is because they don't raise their gaze. They look at something else. You know, I'm thinking of people right now, part of our church, that prayed for revival for years, for decades, that God would do something spectacular. And God did But you know what? They lost sight of the cornerstone. They lost sight of that first importance. Suddenly it was, well, I feel left behind. And they leave the faith, sometimes leave, maybe not the faith, but the fellowship. Because these little small rocks get in the way. They forgot that Jesus is the biggest rock. It's what it's all about. You know, this, this big rock Jesus He's not just important for our church. He's important for you. He's important for me. Because the church is made up of people. And so we can say that on a website. We can say that from the platform. We can say that in the, you know, our materials. But what about you and what about me? In Matthew chapter 7, in Jesus' most famous sermon, Sermon on the Mount, I want to draw your attention to three verses. 
And you'd have to read the whole context. He was talking about a tree and its fruit. And later on, he talks about building your house on the rock. But he says, starting in verse 21 of chapter 7, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So we're talking about when every single one of us stand before God. Verse 22, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, Did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I don't know the first time I read this verse. I was probably 10 or 11, maybe 12. That's always haunted me. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord. Not everyone who says, oh, pick me, pick me. I was a Christian. I was baptized. I I filled out the membership app. I, I did all these things. And this is the passion of my heart. This scares the fire out of me. Is that we've assembled a big crowd. There's a lot of people. But do you know him? Do you know him? Do I know him? I'm not trying to make anybody afraid. I'm not trying to strike fear in your heart. You know when someone passes away and you're like, oh, yeah, I know who that is, but I, I never really knew them. That's someone you didn't know. You met him, you shook their hand, but you didn't know him. Hey, do you know such and such? They just moved away. Oh, you know, yeah, I think I, yeah, I was at a table once with them and we were at a breakfast, but I I don't really know him. You know those type of people? How many of us are that way with Jesus? We say that we know Jesus, but really we only know Jesus through our spouse. Listen to me today. There are men in this room, I believe in my heart of hearts, they don't know Jesus They only know him through her. Because it's important to her. I tremble for you. Or vice versa. There's wives here that only know him through their husband. There's children here who only know Jesus through their parents. There's parents who only know Jesus through their children. Well, you know, it's good for the kids and they like youth groups. So, you know, I don't want my daughter to get pregnant and my son to keep him out of jail. So I guess I'll go. Join the Boy Scouts, bro. If they're still around, I don't know. Declare to them. He said, I will declare to them I never knew you. Apparently to the biggest rock, Jesus, if you follow the logic, the biggest rock is Jesus. Jesus is saying the biggest deal is do you know me? Do I know you? In that intimate, personal relationship. And this is what I'm going to tell you. It's possible for you. It's possible for you. Some of you only know Jesus through me. You've got to quit that. Some of you only know Jesus through your small group or through church. You've got to quit that. The church, the small group, the friends, the pastor, the sermons, the worship, they can help you. They can tell you about him. They can encourage you. They can point you to him. But only you can get to know someone in a personal, intimate way. My wife knows me better than anyone on this planet. She can tell something about me by the way I'm dressed or by the way I wake up or, or the, you know, if I'm whistling or not, by the, by the slouch or the slump. of She knows everything about me. She knows me. 
Do you know Jesus in that personal, intimate way? Jesus is saying that's mighty important. So as we kick this off, this tab DNA, this isn't just a commercial for our church, I promise you. It's to remind us again of what's first important. What? Christ. That he came to earth. That he lived a sinless life. That he taught us and showed us how to love. He died. He was buried. He conquered Satan's sin and death when he resurrected. There are witnesses. There is proof. It for real happened. And he lives today and he's alive today. And if you know him, his spirit lives in you. But even if his spirit lives in you, you can still, your heart can grow cold. You can grow distant. I've been married for more than a minute. There's the proof. She got it. She hadn't been married. All these married people are like, don't move a muscle. You know, times get busy and this and that. And then it's like, hey, you know what? Get a babysitter, we're going on a date. You know what? We're going on a vacation. You know what? We're camping, we're going to the UP. I've never said that. (laughs) But you know, when you and your wife, you go camping and pretend to be homeless. Why? So you can know each other again. To get back to the basics. Church, do you hear my heart? I'm saying, if you're not a Christian, become a Christian. You gotta know him. You gotta just not know about him, and your good outweighing your bad will send you straight to hell. You have to receive this unbelievable gift of grace from God by faith. And when you really meet Jesus, your life will always be changed. And the desire becomes to pursue him. What am I trying to say? Very simple Christianity 101. Get connected to Jesus. Get connected to Jesus. If you've never been connected, become a Christian and get connected. If you are a Christian, let's get reconnected. You know Christmas time when you start to daisy chain lights together, right? Some of us, that's how we're connected to Jesus. Like three, four, five, eighteen degrees of separation. I like what this author said and I like what that author said. It's 2019. Everyone has access to a Bible. How do I connect with Jesus? Well, maybe learning something about what he says about himself and his word. Well, I don't read. Get someone to read it to you, right? I've said it before. You can get an audio file. I got a friend who's a salesman who is powering through the Bible because he spends upwards of 40 hours a week in the summer in his car. And he shut off the talk radio and shut off the news and everyone throwing rocks at each other. And he's getting connected to the biggest rock. He's listening to the Bible being read to him. He's texting me, hey, what's up with Leviticus? I'm like, bro, I'm in a meeting. And then it's like, hey, what's up with Deuteronomy? It's like, dude, okay. But he's hungry. He's trying to get connected to Jesus. And I believe that God sees that and he rewards that. And there's no perfect way. Some of us, it's, maybe it's just starting with setting a new routine. Maybe it's getting up a little bit earlier. Instead of coffee in a to-go cup and out the door with an egg sandwich on my face and a newspaper, you know, rush. Maybe it's a, maybe a little discipline in my life. We hate that word, but it's important. Maybe I give, get up and have coffee with Jesus. Oh, imagine that. What if I spent time praying first thing or praying last thing? What if I started praying with my spouse or praying with my kids and not just talking but listening? You know, there's resources that can help you get connected to Jesus. 
In fact, this weekend at both locations at the hub, we've got like some little devotional books. We cleared out all the closets of everything we have. If you don't have a Bible, we will get you one if you want us to get you one. Sometimes I've watched people that have been connected to Jesus want to reconnect with Jesus. I always think this is hilarious, but cool, but weird all at the same time. It's like they have like a King James and they have the student NIV Bible and someone got them a message. And, you know, they have like four or five Bibles because both grandmas got them one at graduation. And then they're 32 years old and they come to Fight Club and, you know, they kind of have the Bible on their phone. And then I show up with a man's Bible, which is like an ESV study Bible that cost me $150. You know, and they're like, whoa, must be nice. And I'm like, oh. Bring a man's Bible to Fight Club next time. And the guy's like, daggone it, I'm going to get a real Bible. It's the same Bible that his Bible, I mean, it says the same thing, but, you know, he's going to restart and reconnect. And I love when I see someone all excited about their new Bible and they got the little points and the, you guys don't know what I'm, you do it with shoes or drills. Whatever you need to get connected to restart. We want to resource you. But can I, can I tell you this? Listen to this. This is, this is key. I can't connect you. Only you can. You have to take responsibility for that. Part of the relationship with Jesus is, yeah, he does all the heavy lifting. He went to the cross. He took the whip. He took the torture. He took the pain. He took the thorns. He took the spear. And his love conquered Satan's sin and death. And he came back to life. But he expects us to take responsibility for our part. Do we want to be connected to that? Or do we just want to take advantage? Oh, it's a gift. Must be nice. Thanks. Scoops. I got mine. You know, Pastor Tim, even though he's... He's still recovering at home and, and uh, he's, he's, he's fighting the good fight. You know, he's still connected. And he was telling me a story of a guy that was desperate and through addiction. Tim, Tim got him connected to recovery. He got him connected to Jesus. He got him connected to the church. And for a good period of time, this guy was running hard after the biggest rock that is Jesus. And then somewhere along the line, the guy fell off the train. Hadn't heard from him in over a year. And then Tim gets this angry rant from the bro. Where's God now? She left me in this. I mean, the guy's been AWOL. Completely AWOL. Tim texts back, God didn't move. God didn't move. In fact, he promises, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things. Jesus said, anyone who seeks will find. If you knock, the door will be opened. And I think it's just so easy for us to get disconnected and it becomes about me becomes about, well, I don't even go into that. You know one thing that does encourage me? I get encouraged when I hear testimonies. You know what I mean? Someone becomes a Christian and then they, you hear their story and you're like, oh, that's so exciting. Why is that encouraging to us? I think it's encouraging because it reminds us of what's most important. 
someone bumped into the cornerstone and they, instead of stumbling, they decided to align their life around it. Remember those first days? In the book of Revelation, it calls it our first love. And it's reminding all of us to get back there, no matter what the cost. So as we close this message today, because this, this, is, this is the point. I want every single one of us get connected to Jesus. Get reconnected to Jesus. I want to share a testimony of one of our own. He's new to our church. He's new to our faith. He's new to Jesus. But it's a testimony to the power of a changed life. Who's met the biggest rock? This is the story of Ryan Baldwin. So before I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I ran the show. I was in charge. I did whatever I wanted when I wanted. Didn't care who I hurt. You know, whether it was family, friends, random people. I just, I just did whatever. And, uh, you know, there was lots of drugs. Um, lots of drugs. I tried quitting so many times and couldn't. And I couldn't because I never found Jesus. He was always there with me, keeping me alive through my overdoses and stuff. But, you know, he, uh, stayed right there with me the whole time even though I was rejecting him but uh after I got arrested and sentenced to two years in prison I was laying in my bed in quarantine and I was trying to figure out what what other people had that I did not have you know especially my parents because they're happy they live good lives. It's like, man, what is it? What do I need that they have? And all of a sudden it hit me like a brick wall. It just ran right into me. I need the Lord. The Lord's the only one that's going to save me and help me through this mess I put myself in. You know? And so, right then and there, I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. And for the next 18 months, I dove into the Bible. I I read it every day. I learned the word. Um, I participated in anything I could that would, would help me get to know my Lord, our Lord. And uh, you know, there was this great man from the tabernacle named George. He would come to visit me every month without fail and we'd talk for hours just about things I needed to change in my life things that Christ was going to help me change in my life um, you know what direction my life needed to go in and uh, I'm happy to say that because of the tabernacle and George I found freedom in prison I am free now. And uh, it's great. I love it. I'm so happy now. 
I'm, I'm present mentally and physically uh, for everything. And I've never been that way. And life is good now. <laughs>